This is Unfilter, episode 297 for March 30th, 2020. We begin tonight with new developments in the coronavirus emergency in America and around the world. President Trump tonight weighing a drastic move. The U.S. now with more than 119,000 cases and more than 2,000 deaths. The president unexpectedly announcing he may issue a two-week quarantine for parts of New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. The governor tonight calling it a, quote, federal declaration of war on the states. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 297 of your Corona Cracking Cast. My name is Chris. I'm setting up for a big week. Two episodes this week. I got a lot on my mind from the weekend. I had, you know, some time to think about things during the old lockdown. What else are you going to do? So today in the episode, we'll update everybody on what's going on. I just wrapped up clipping President Trump's press conference that he had just a little bit ago this evening. So we got some fresh information there. So we'll get all the latest COVID information. And then we'll get into some interesting updates after I dug in deep, really tried to wrap my head around a $2 trillion stimulus, which is a real mind job, because it's really actually $6.2 trillion, as we explained last episode. But I want to share what's on my mind here at the top of the show, and then we'll get into all of that. The early download data for the reboot is encouraging. A lot of you are finding the most recent episode and then going back to catch up since the reboot, which feels really rewarding. So thank you, everyone. Now the big challenge is to spread the word. If you're listening to this around the time it's posted, I need your help. I need your help. Please spread the word about The Unfilter Show. Our little show needs your support. You can encourage people to check out our Discord as well, unfilter.show slash Discord. We need to let the people know. Don't try to force convert anyone, just the folks you know who would be open-minded. I've been thinking about the future over the weekend for the show. And this show, this show is so much more than the coronavirus. This show is more than Edward Snowden. It's more than Barack Obama. It is more than Donald Trump. On the micro level, like week to week, the show becomes about a specific topic or set of topics. But on the macro level, it becomes a show about our shared history. I think that's an important thing. And so this show, while today it's a lot about the coronavirus, the last few episodes have been a lot about the coronavirus. I want to reassure you it's not about one particular thing. And I'll remind you, we have an election coming up. What's the state of the media going to look like if there's a new administration next year? What's the level of accountability going to be? You know, if it's Biden, for example. What about the issues that led to the rise of Bernie and Trump getting elected in the first place? Are those getting properly addressed? Are they getting properly covered? I doubt it. This show is a lot more than just the topics that we're covering today. But as we go every single week, we make it people's history here. That's what I love about this show. So let's get into it. Let's get into the latest COVID news. 
We start with the big upset. The President Trump just on his way to catch a helicopter says, oh, yeah, we might do some quarantine." The state has been hit harder by coronavirus than New York. It accounts for nearly half of all U.S. cases. And now President Trump is considering a mandatory short-term quarantine on the state or at least parts of it. There's a possibility that sometime today we'll do a quarantine short-term two weeks on New York. Uh, probably New Jersey, certain parts, and Connecticut. Restrict travel because they're having problems down in Florida. A lot of New Yorkers going down. We don't want that. Uh, heavily infected. Well, this would be an enforceable quarantine. And, you know, I'd rather not do it, but we may need it. You know, sometimes you got to quarantine. You don't want to do it, but sometimes you got to do it. But when Kumo heard of Como, Kumo, God. Cuomo, <laughs> when he heard about it, he had like this innate reaction. Feedback on Jesse's question here. The president said he's looking to inf- he's looking at some sort of enforceable quarantine for New York, New Jersey, parts of the tri-state area. Is- to paint the scene, this is one of uh, Cuomo's Cuomo's Cuomo's. <laughs> Uh, the side, the inside joke for those of you who are not like intimately familiar with every detail of the Unfilter Show. My buddy Chase works at a local broadcast affiliate of ABC called Como, and so I just like to play around there as if he were here. Um, and uh, so this is one of uh, Cuomo's press conferences, and this is the very end. And this this journalist kind of tosses this all out there. Quarantine for New York, New Jersey, parts of the tri-state area. Is that a sound policy from your perspective, or would you advise against that? I don't even know what that, what that means. I don't know how that could be legally enforceable. Uh, and from a medical point of view, I don't know what you would be accomplishing. Uh, but I can tell you, I, just, I don't even like the sound of it. <laughs> Not even understanding what it is, I don't like the sound of it. That's a genuine reaction right there. Now, where does this kind of stuff come from? You know, Trump's walking out to the helipad and he just he blurts this kind of stuff out. The media makes it sound like he's just creating out of thin air right there. Like he's evil Trump, the dictator. And he has decided while he's on a little jaunt to the helicopter that he's going to issue a quarantine. I don't know if this is better, but the reality is that's not how Trump works. It's actually a little scarier than that. See, the media wants to paint some picture of a lunatic that's just throwing stuff out there. It's it's way scarier than that. You see, I've known guys like Trump that they're they're down with whatever the last conversation resulted in. So whoever they talked to last, if they decided, yeah, we're going to go to Arby's and we're going to get ourselves the meats and everybody's super pumped about Arby's. And then the and then the people show up for lunch that earlier to you were talking about Jack in the Box. They're like, well, what the fuck, man? We were just talking about Arby's. Now you're saying Jack in the Box. What the hell is this? Right. It's like they go with whoever the last great, strong personality suggested something to them. And that's Trump. I I've kind of just sussed that out just by watching him over the years because I've I've worked with guys like that. And it's the craziest thing. And this is why I say it's scarier. It's scarier than him just being a maniac, just making crap up. Because that's like, you know, inexperienced. It's him being bumbling. It's it's incompetency. And that the media likes. But the scarier thing is anybody who has a special interest that can get in front of the president and make a convincing argument, that's the one he'll go with. It's whoever he talked to last. And it's basically implied right here in this clip. By Trump. Uh, so we talked about quarantine, as you know, the other day. 
A group came to me and they wanted to do the quarantine. And I said, let's think about it. And we did. And we studied it. And by the time the evening came, it just was something that was very unwieldy, very tough to enforce and something we didn't want to do. He had a conversation with somebody or a group, it sounds like. A group came to me. and they- A group. And they proposed a quarantine because New York is like the source of like half the infections in the United States right now. And so they said, we got to quarantine them, Mr. President. He said, okay, very good. Let's think about that. I'll go get on a helicopter and uh, think about it. And on his way to the helicopter, he stopped and answered questions, and he just blurts it out. You know, where like maybe Obama or any president previously would just sit on that kind of information. Like the, the, the craziest one, I seem to recall, like didn't Obama do a White House press dinner while they were raiding Osama bin Laden's compound or something like that, like the evening of that, like he did a White House press dinner <laughs> and he's just out there chilling. Not- Trump, <laughs> could you picture that same scenario? I don't think so. Now, here's some of the um, also additional context, let's say, to Trump's decision not to quarantine because the next group came along and convinced Trump otherwise. I want to go now to Dr. Anthony Fauci. He is the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. He is a vital part of President Trump's coronavirus task force, of course. Uh, Dr. Fauci, it's always good to see you. There, CNN is is basically doing Skype with Jake Tapper. For some reason, they can have high-fidelity remote connections in real time to Washington, D.C. and the Pentagon for their correspondence. Uh, it, it really is something. Uh, but what Fauci has said in the past, he's about to get to it here, is the trick to managing President Trump is just Keep repeating the same stuff. You don't have to argue. You just have to keep making the case over and over again and just be the last one to get the word in. And it sounds like that's what happened here. Uh, I want to ask you about the latest development. The CDC now urging, quote, residents of New York, New Jersey, Connecticut to refrain from non-essential domestic travel for 14 days effective immediately. This came after President Trump considered an enforceable quarantine, as he put it, for those states. Um, So why did uh, the administration go with this travel advisory instead? And will this help stop the virus? Well, I think it ultimately will help stop the virus, Jake. We had a very intensive discussions last night at the White House with the president. As you know, the the original proposal was to consider seriously an enforceable quarantine. After discussions with the president, we made it clear and he agreed that it would be much better to do what's called a strong advisory. And the reason for that is that you don't want to get to the point where you're being enforcing things that would create a a, a big of difficulty, morale and otherwise, when you could probably accomplish the same goal. One of the issues is... That's a fascinating point there. Just all of the other crap doing that would cause would make them less effective. Morale and otherwise, when you could probably accomplish the same goal. One of the issues is that the infection rate in New York City and the New York City area is about 56% of all of the new infections in the country are coming from that area. That's terrible suffering from the people of New York, which I feel myself personally as a New Yorker. You can see maybe why that conversation would have come up, though. Half of the infection. And then they're leaving. New Yorkers are going down to Florida to get out, to get away from it all. And then they're bringing it down to Florida. And now Southern Florida is in a lockdown as of today, essentially from outsiders bringing it in. And the question is, is if we don't properly contain this thing, will it just continue on? But even worse than that, will it come back in the fall? 
Trump hopes not, but sounds like it's going to happen. That this could be seasonal, seasonal cyclical virus. So, and maybe both of you could comment on this and Dr. Burks as well. Are you prepared for this to strike again, say, in the fall? All the efforts that are taking place right now to contain this, to be proactive, uh, and yeah. you do. We're prepared. Do. I hope it doesn't happen. Doctor, would you like to say something about that? I hope it doesn't happen, but we're certainly prepared. In fact, I would anticipate that that would actually happen because of the degree of transmissibility. However, if you come back in the fall, it will be a totally different ball game of what happened when we first got hit with it in the beginning of this year. There will be several things that will be different. Our ability to go out and be able to test, identify, isolate, and contact trace will be orders of magnitude better than what it was just a couple of months ago. In addition, we have a number of clinical trials that are looking at a variety of therapeutic interventions. We hope one or more of them will be available. And importantly, as I mentioned to you many times at these briefings, is that we have a vaccine that's on track and multiple other candidates. So I would anticipate that, you know, a year to a year and a half, we'd be able to do it under an emergency use. If we start seeing an efficacy signal, we may be able to even use a vaccine at the next season. So things are going to be very, very different. What we're going through now is going to be more than just lessons learned. It's going to be things that we have available to us that we did not have before. That is a fair point, and it does make me feel a little bit better about it coming back in the fall. We'll have a better tool set, but more than that, we'll have a way to detect it very quickly. More on that in a moment. And we may have other tools in place. You may have heard that one of the things that has been successful in some countries has been GPS tracking based around an app on your phone that does geofencing for different locations that are known to be hotspots. And some of these apps have even allowed for tagging of others you suspect that have symptoms, creepy, and will buzz in your pocket when you're near somebody else that is known to potentially be contagious. Isn't that something? And so people have wondered, is that coming to the U.S.? Trump was asked that today. Roadmap also talks about um, doing GPS for social distancing, maybe following people's phones. She's referring to a roadmap that was created by a former administration official, suggesting that these are the steps that Trump should take. And hotels for isolation for people, uh, giving them free hotel rooms. Are, Are those ideas that you're looking at? Well, the GPS, that's a very severe idea. I've been hearing about it, GPS. So what happens? A siren goes off if you get too close to somebody. That's pretty severe. But he's uh, somebody who was with me for a long time. He worked. They did a great job at FDA. So, uh, so we're going to we're taking a look. I just I just received it a little while ago. He sent it over. So very good. Let's hope whoever's an advocate for that doesn't have the last conversation with Trump. To the hotel point, we have hotel ownership in my extended family. They've built a lot of the local hotels here around the studio. And their business has been absolutely devastated. Just the numbers. I've I've never I've never even heard of numbers like that. I don't understand money in those in those numbers. It's really sad. And the best shot they have right now for the next short term is working out a deal with the state and federal government to rent out the rooms as hospital rooms uh, or as temporary shelters for emergency workers. That are and first responders that don't want to come home and potentially expose their family. And so that's where the hotel's hoping it can make a little bit of money by reopening a couple of its hotels and 
renting it out to the government, essentially. So this is about an hour and a half, hour, 15-minute press conference where Trump's sitting there answering questions, bringing, bringing the gang up to answer other questions. You know, it's a whole celebrity cast now up there behind the podium. And towards the very end, like the last five minutes of the conference, Trump decides to literally give CNN a shot to see if they can ask a decent question. I, I know that at times like this, we have bigger things going on, but there's something in me that just has immense satisfaction when he stomps on the media. I mean, here I am doing a show that frequently critique, critiques the media, so I'm not their biggest fan. Go ahead. Let's give it a shot. He uh, tosses to Jim Acosta, who uh, has been waiting patiently this entire time. Go ahead. Let's give it a shot. Uh, what do you say to Americans who are upset with you over the way you downplayed this Trump, you hear him there. Here we go. Now, what? Now, first of all, um, you could make the argument that Trump needs to a level above this kind of stuff during a crisis. Like him tweeting about his ratings just comes across disconnected. It comes across disconnected. It's a little psycho. And I think you could make the same argument for the media here. They need to stop trying to scare people. They need to stop trying to play the anger side. This is a real thing that's happening, but they are so over the top with hyperbole and hype that they lose the trust and following of most of the public. And what they end up with is just the polarized people that are tuning in to hear what they want to hear, and it creates a very politically toxic environment. Jim Acosta here is playing a part, very small part, in a much larger issue that is fundamental to the democracy of our country and how we spread information and the sort of coloring of that information, if if we frame it in a certain way, he's part of all of that. And so what you see here when you watch these events is the different outlets. OIN came up, which is a very conservative network, and Trump gave him a question. I almost clipped this for you, but it it just wasn't worth it. Um, and they managed the OAN reporter managed to turn it into an abortion question and make it about abortions and about how the number of abortions are much worse than the number of COVID patients. And why isn't this a national issue? And just this whole thing. And it's so petty. It's, it's so petty. It's, it's really so when Trump stomps on them, when they do that, I can't help but enjoy it a little bit. What do you say to Americans who are upset with you? Over the way you downplayed this crisis over the last couple of months, uh, we have it very much under control in this country. The coronavirus is very much under control in the USA. It's going to disappear. It's like a miracle. It will disappear. Uh, March 4th, uh, we have a very small number of people in this country infected. March 10th, we're prepared. We're doing a great job with it. It will go away. Just stay calm. It will go away. What do you well, say to Americans who believe that you got this wrong? And I do want them to stay calm. And we are doing a great job. If you look at those individual statements, they're all true. Stay calm. Uh, it will go away. You know it, you know it is going away. And it will go away. And we're going to have a great victory. And it's people like you and CNN that say things like that, that uh, it's why people just don't want to listen to CNN anymore. You could ask a normal question. The statements I made are, I want to keep the country calm. I don't want panic in the country. I could cause panic much better than even you. I could do much. I would make you look like a minor league player. But you know what? I don't want to do that. I want to have our. Is that a fair point? I think it might be. You know, the, in fact, it's been the point of the media for the last week and a half that the words of the president set the tone for the nation. 
And he's up there trying to project calm. He's trying to also, I think, project stability. I think Trump sees himself as a president of the stock market. <laughs> and so I think ultimately you can explain a lot of Trump's communication style around trying to set the tone for the market. It would make you look like a minor league player. But you know what? I don't want to do that. I want to have our country be calm and strong and fight and win. And it will go away. And it is incredible, the job that all of these people are doing, putting them all together, the job that they're doing. I am very proud of the job they're doing, that Mike Pence is doing, that the task force has done, that Honeywell and Procter and Gamble and Mike and all of these people have done. I'm very proud. It's, it's almost a miracle, and it is, the way it's all come together. And instead of asking a nasty, snarky question like that, you should ask a real question. And other than that, I'm going to go to somebody else. Please go ahead. I do please. whine because I want to win. Acosta's mic was cut. This is the new thing they've been doing now since, well, these press conferences. They cut the reporter's mic once they turn into a shithead. And uh, the reporters hate it. Acosta kept his cool, though. So I, I popped over to CNN after the press conference to see, you know, his report to Wolf, because you know that uh, he's going to jump on there. And of course, he's going to have breaking news. This is CNN Breaking News. And you're going to have Wolf Blitzer up there, and it's exactly how it went down, and they talked about it. And uh, he said it's, and it was a good point. He said he made a point of the president wants compliments, but we're here to hold his feet to the fire. And I think that's the, the core of it. That's, that's the core of the part that Trump doesn't seem to get. The press isn't there to tell you, good job, Don. <laughs> that's not what their job is. And the ones that are, well... They're basically your lapdogs. That's just the unfortunate reality is if the fourth estate is truly doing their job, they should be always nipping at your heels. Now, that doesn't mean what Rachel Meadow does is correct either. Like there is a balance here. I love the exasperated uh, Rachel Meadow here because that's how I'm putting it. And she mocks, mocks the idea that the USS Comfort would arrive in New York City on time. In terms of uh, the happy talk we've had on this front from the federal government, there the happy talk in terms the whole thing is just so choice the way they have her compression set and her mic you can hear her papers ruffling around way more than you should i mean the acoustics in the studio have been since the day one of her show shit they always have been here she is continuing that tradition the exasperated <sighs> before she gets into something that is completely inaccurate and just an opinion piece and i play this now after the fact as an anecdote for the media for your mind you need to keep in mind when they're talking like this, they're just filling airtime. They don't know what they're talking about. They have no special insights. You'd think they'd have connections. You'd think they'd know things and they'd hear things that you didn't hear because you're not a big media personality. But the fact of the matter is they're all a bunch of hermit crab, insular. I guess I would say. Introverts. You know, that's the truth of the matter is a lot of people on the air like this, like Rachel Meadow, like the like people who put themselves out. It sounds weird, but we are introverts. I am one of those people. I I need recharge time in a big way. It, it it's it's one of the reasons I bring my RV to events as much as I can, because it is a quick way I can go home and I can sit in my living room I can have a beer, I can have a snack, I can chat with my wife, I can watch my TV, and it, it sort of recharges me, and then I go back out again into the event. And so you'd think that these people have all of this special insight. You'd think that they have all these connections, but they don't know anything more than us. And a lot of times, 
because of their perspective and their bias, they're not pulling in all of the different feeds. They don't have they don't have a system intentionally designed to feed them news from all of the different sources. They have their view, they have their perspective, and they have their opinion that they want to get out there. And so when you hear these kinds of rants I'm about to play for you, I want this to be an anecdote for your mind, an antidote. And you know what I'm trying to say. Basically, a vaccine for stupid. For when you hear the media, this is your vaccine for stupid. This is the key things that should be triggering you. This is crap. In terms of uh, the happy talk we've had on this front from the federal government, there is no sign that the Navy hospital ships that the president made such a big deal of, the comfort and the mercy, um, there's no sign that they'll be anywhere on site helping out anywhere in the country for weeks yet. The president said when he announced that those ships would be put into action against the COVID-19 epidemic, he said one of those ships would be operational in New York Harbor by next week. That's nonsense. It will not be there next week. Ships would be operational in New York Harbor by next week. Hmm. That's nonsense. It will not be there next week. Well, let's check on that. See, uh, one week later, actually. This morning, we all watched something absolutely extraordinary, absolutely inspiring as the USNS Comfort entered New York Harbor, coming here to save the lives of New Yorkers in our hour of need. New York's mayor, I'm sure Rachel Meadows will be making an update on her show uh, this evening to clarify that, right? What's the point of that? This is happening, that times 100 is what's happening in the media right now. What I do for you here on this show is essentially eliminate 90% of the crap. Every now and then I show you flavors like that. So you are aware of what is being covered and you just have an idea of what's going on out there. But a big part of, funny enough, the big part of the unfilter show is to filter out all the stupid shit like that. That's hap- That's 90% of what's on the air. 90% of it is I just discard that kind of crap constantly. Now, there is some good news, especially when it comes to treatments. The FDA approving a coronavirus test that could give results in about 15 minutes. The pharmaceutical company behind it now ramping up production, saying it expects to deliver 50,000 tests starting next week. Let's go to Steve Harrigan now. He's live in Atlanta outside CDC headquarters with more. Steve. Arthel, that news really shows just how dramatically and quickly things are changing when it comes to testing. A couple of weeks ago, it was days wait for a lab result to come back. Just last week, we were talking about the FDA approving for the first time a test which could come back in 45 minutes, a so-called point-of-care test that would let you know within that amount of time whether or not you have the virus. Now Abbott Labs saying they are ready with a test that can come in in under 15 minutes, a positive result in as little as five minutes. This really could be a game changer. The lab says it's going to roll out 50,000 test units a day, FDA approved, beginning on Monday. Also, the World Health Organization saying it's beginning historic drug trial treatments. Volunteers from Norway and Spain beginning those treatments to see what works the best against the coronavirus. Four of the most promising drugs will be tested in these trials. Let's take actually a look at that. Um, he was going to mention malaria drugs and HIV, HIV drugs, which the fact that they're testing certain HIV drugs, I find fascinating. But I want to zoom in on one in particular. It is the drug that has sparked the most hope. With the chloroquine, uh, I think the uh, I think it could be something really incredible. Now, remember just last week when he was getting roasted for saying that? Uh, first, you had the uh, couple that thought the same thing for a fish tank was good. Uh, they took it. By the way, it turns out that they're like 
huge Democratic Party contributors, which is a fun one. Uh, if I could find a link to that, I'll put it in the show notes for you. The uh, other, the other uh, funny story, quote unquote, that we all saw coming, funny as in smells bad in this case, was President Trump is causing an outage. Uh, well, President Trump said X, and so now people are running and making a run on Y. Which possibly is true, but it was part of the media story of like, look what these look what these press conferences are doing. It's misinformation. It's hurting people, and now here we are getting clinical trials. Chloroquine. Uh, I think the uh, I think it could be something really incredible. And now the FDA has fast tracked a clinical trial to see if it really does work. Less than a week. Less than a week. Wow. Yeah. That's how long it took the University of Minnesota to get its trial approved, a process that usually takes months. Dr. Tim Shacker, who studies infectious diseases there, is trying to determine whether the common anti-malarial drug hydroxychloroquine might actually slow COVID-19. So the question we're asking is, if you take hydroxychloroquine after an exposure, will that prevent you from getting infected? He's looking for 1,500 patients to participate in the trial. In just days, hundreds signed up. And an interim analysis is likely to occur, you know, in the next several weeks. It will tell us with certainty what, you know, if this drug makes a difference. One of the things that's fascinating about a drug test like this, and of course it makes total sense, is they need people to sign up for testing that are not sick. Because they want first, stage one, We've played a clip on this is they want to test people who are not sick just to make sure that you take this thing and you don't have any things going on. It doesn't make you sick. It doesn't wreck you. So that's usually stage one. But because this is something that's already been approved for human use, the there's the, there's a program they have to just fast track this sucker and start testing it at scale. During the press conference yesterday, it was floated by Trump that we could be seeing the peak death rate in two weeks. Now, I have other clips that would suggest the peak death rate won't be until May. However, I want to play this one so that way we have it. We have it on the record that at least on March 30th, Trump said the peak's in two weeks. The modeling estimates that the peak in death rate is likely to hit in two weeks. So I'll say it again. Okay. Okay, I should nuance this a little bit. We got to make sure if we're going to hold him to the fire on this one. He's saying the death rate, so not the infection rate. So we could still have more infections, but the death rate will drop. Uh, all right, that's a little more nuanced than I was thinking originally, but I still think it's worth noting this in the show to see if this actually bears out. I mean, I'd, I'd love it to. The rate is likely to hit in two weeks. So I'll say it again. The peak, the highest point of death rates. Remember this is likely to hit in two weeks. Nothing would be worse than declaring victory before the victory is won. Why, 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 you're getting nervous, man. Calm down. It's okay. Let's see. We'll see. By the way, that clip provided by uh, a member of our new Discord server, unfilter.show slash Discord, the server is set up. And it's rocking. I would love to have you join us in the conversation there. It has been awesome so far. I think we're we're getting close to 80 members. I'd love to pop that over 100 in the next week. There was also another combative moment with the press yesterday. I have two questions. The first is, you've said repeatedly that you think that some of the equipment that governors are requesting, they don't actually need. You said New York might need, I, not, I might not need 30,000. You said it on I Sean Hannity's Fox News. You said you know, that why you don't, might... Why don't you... 
So Trump always has a fight with this gal. Uh, she's from PBS, and she just seems to always go in after him. Now, he's about to really dig himself into a hole. So before we get to that, I want to address this. You're noticing a lot of governors around the United States saying, we're not getting X from the federal government. We're not getting Y from the federal government. What's going on here is they're holding on to some of the equipment in case there is an outbreak somewhere that really flares up. They'll have at least maybe 10,000 ventilators or whatever it might be, masks, something they can send them. So when there's certain areas that maybe have like one that is coming to mind right now, but it changes all the time, maybe they have 14 cases. They're not going to get 10,000 ventilators. When they only have, they're prepared to send them when they come, but it's a real delicate balance because you want to be prepared before the, before the, like the rush to the hospitals happen. But you also have at a federal level to be able to move that equipment around. And it has to be a very dynamic situation. That, that is the context of this question, but it just goes so south because it's like oil and water with Trump and reporters. And when they go after him, he just doesn't have it. He just, he won't I might not need 30,000. You said it on Sean Hannity's on. Fox News. You said you know, that why you don't, might. Why don't you some, people act? Let, let me ask you. You said. Oh, we don't go with the you people. You don't. Yeah, it's not the way to go. On Sean Hannity's Fox News. You said that you might. Why don't you people act? Let me ask you. You said some Why don't you act in a little more positive? It's always trying to my get question you. To you. Get is, you, get you. And you know what? That- Man, you just. You don't do this. This is a reporter of color. She's also a woman and she's on pbs <laughs> i don't know if i can make this more clear but like these words you're using are not the right words president trump need, you said new york might need I, that I might not need thirty thousand. you said it on sean hannity's on, fox news you said you know that why, you don't, might, why don't you some, people act let, let me ask you, you said why some don't state, you act why don't you act in a little more positive it's always trying to my get question you, to you get is, you get you and you know what? That's why nobody trusts the media anymore. My That's question why to you people, is, how is that going to impact? Excuse me, you didn't hear me. That's why you used to work for the Times, and now you work for somebody else. Look, let me tell you something. Be nice. Don't Mr. be President, threatening. My question Don't is, be threatening. Be nice. Go my ahead. question is, how is that going to impact how you fill these orders? No, 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 no. It's like he can't control what he says. I think maybe some voters even like that about the man. But it's such a simple situation he could have stayed out of. But he just can't help himself. Now, this whole time we've been working from home, I've been saying it really seems like this is something the climate activists should really jump on. Like this could be their moment to make their impact on corporate culture and push their things into corporate culture and say, hey, let's always work from home or let's let's have half the company work from home or let's have three people a week from one each team work from home. Like taking people off the road reduces pollution. It could be a huge solution to climate change. It's a way we could all individually take direct action. I kind of surprised, I'm just surprised this isn't part of the conversation already. If this is something people care about, if climate change is the existential crisis that we believe it seems to be, then why hasn't this happened? There has been success in getting corporate America to improve diversity and inclusion uh, they've changed a lot of structures in corporate America after the Me Too movement. There's been a lot of success there. So I wonder if a similar movement couldn't happen around climate. I'm not serious. I'm not. Don't mistake. I'm not trying to say it should happen or it shouldn't happen. But I'm trying to think about how things will change 
after the coronavirus has passed? What will be different? And it seems like something's going to shift around work from home. And I, th- I think when people start to see the data around pollution, it may change the conversation. The virus has changed our world. Empty streets, stalled economies, death and suffering. But it has also improved the air. When Chinese cities began sheltering in place, they saw air pollution fall by 30%. And here in the U.S., with traffic down in major cities by 40% or more, we are breathing 30% better atmosphere than we were when this began. It's interesting to watch the entire global society respond to an emergency like this. And I, I don't want to conflate coronavirus with climate change, but it does show that we are able to mobilize to protect ourselves from a threat. Ah, there's the logic. See, this is it, because this is a data opportunity. We've got real data. We shut down America we shut down China, all, all, most of the world. Now we've got data that shows that pollution goes down. So now we can use this data to start a new cause. We can come together just like we did to fight Corona. And if that means we got to stream a few more videos, well, then it seems that one of the largest ISPs here in the States is ready for it. Comcast claims that things are humming right along. I haven't had that same experience, though. Cast does say that its network for its nearly 30 million high-speed internet customers is performing well amid a surge in traffic. Peak traffic, it says, is up by more than 30 percent, and it's up over 60 percent in some areas, but it's still within Comcast network capacity, and the peak is, interestingly, moving earlier in the evening from the typical peak of 9 p.m. Now, driving this overall increase is video conferencing. It's up 212 percent. Game downloads are up 50 percent, and streaming and web video consumption are up 38%. Ah, I see you, Steam players. You're playing them Steam games while you're at work. I'm on to you. I mean, that's why you got two monitors, right? <laughs> All right, let's shift gears. We've talked enough about COVID. Let's talk about the economy and then the election, and then we're done. And we start with your good buddy, the Secretary of the Treasury, Steve Mnuchin. And it sounds like, although he won't come right out and say it, but when Chris Walls presses presses him on it, it sounds like he's expecting a massive drop in the GDP. We want to get people back to work as quickly as we can, subject to the medical conditions. Understood. But briefly, and I've got about 30 seconds left, you're you're saying, you seem to be saying that 20% unemployment and uh, GDP minus a quarter, 24 percent, is not impossible. It may not, be, may not last long, but we may see those numbers. We may have to live with that. Chris, I don't know what the numbers are going to be this quarter. What I do think is we are going to kill this virus. We are going to reopen this economy. And in the third quarter of this year, you're going to see this economy bounce back with very large GDP numbers. I don't want to answer that question, but yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be bad. Now, this next clip, 
is about as entertaining as you would expect a financial press briefing from the IMF. And so that's what you're going to get. But I tried to cut it down as short as possible for you. This is a press briefing either today or yesterday. I don't remember at this point by the IMF that say, yeah, it's official. We're now living in a global recession. Uh, I noted that since the IMFC last call just weeks ago, we have reassessed the prospects for growth for 2020 and 2021. It is now clear that we have entered a recession as bad or worse than in 2009. We do project recovery in 2021. In fact, there may be a sizable rebound, but only if we succeed with containing the virus everywhere reclaiming my time yeah obviously and during all of this when stores are closed down people are social distancing i hate that term the last thing we need is amazon to stop delivering but that may be exactly what's about to happen companies like instacart and amazon are working around the clock to get customers the essentials they need but today some of those employees are walking off the job over concerns about their safety cbsn boston's lisa gresci explains those relying on deliveries from instacart or amazon may be waiting a little bit longer some workers are walking off the job today because they say they don't feel safe at work right now. They should be, you know, more safety out there for them to bring the packages and stuff on the stairs and ringing people doorbells and being close to one another like that. They should get more pay. Oh, yeah. It's all about that money. Yeah, they want more money. Want that hazard pay. They want that hazard pay. I wonder if I can get podcaster hazard pay. Just doing a show like this, I should get hazard pay, tell you the truth. Remember, I've been saying that uh, I thought Trump would call up Saudi Arabia and uh, figure out what's going on with this whole oil situation. Well, Trump placed a phone call, but it wasn't to Saudi Arabia. Alima, is anybody talking sense to the Saudis and the Russians? I think what's really interesting today is we got reports that President Trump was going to pick up the phone and actually phone Vladimir Putin. So much of the talk has been on what the U.S. can do to get the Saudis to basically cut production. But I really think the path to a production cut deal that could help save this market goes through Moscow. It was the Russians who said they weren't going to cut production at the last OPEC meeting. And I think they are absolutely essential to putting this whole OPEC plus arrangement back together. Yeah. <laughs> I bet they are. They're sort of the new kids on the block, too. And they're the ones that uh, said, no, nah, we're just going to keep making as much oil as we can. You guys can slow down, though. And for them, it's kind of a good time to sort of put the screws to the U.S. Don't worry about Boeing, though, because they're going to get plenty of money regardless of what happens. I have been digging into the stimulus bill. I got a couple of clips for you on that or rescue package, as I like to call it. And Boeing's going to get a lot of that rescue. Remember, there's this big slush fund out there. And there's other things written into this as well. To What seemed to be like propping up companies that were already in bad states. Like Boeing was already having a really bad year. They have a whole bunch of planes parked, right? There's a big deal going on with Boeing. They were already on the ropes in a lot of ways. And now they're going to just be able to claim pandemic and get a bunch of money. And one reporter just puts it all out there. The Senate bill includes aid that's directly tied to the airlines. Um, and since before the pandemic, Boeing was already suffering from you know the losses of 737 yeah, Max sure. airplanes. 
Um, do you think it's appropriate to use this legislation to sort of provide them um, with $17 billion of aid on top of, you know, $25 billion that they could qualify for as a passenger um, airline, and then another $4 billion that they could qualify for as a cargo airline? Is, is, is that fair? Man, it's good to be a buddy of the military-industrial complex, isn't it? Look at that money they're getting. Man. Um, airline and then another $4 billion that they could qualify for as a cargo airline. Is, is, is that fair? So the airline business is a very tough business over many years. It's been very, very tough. It's got everything. It's got labor. It's got very strong, powerful, you know, uh, you look at the cost of these airliners. Everything is tough, uh, very highly technological. You look at how complicated, how complex. It's got unions. It's got everything. The airline business, generally speaking, has unions. It's a very tough business, always been a very tough business. With that being said, we have to keep our airlines going. And we're going to be using some. Now, maybe we'll take a piece of the airlines for the country, for our country, where we loan money and we take a piece. It's all fully ready. We're ready to go. But if we didn't do that, we'd end up with no airlines, and we can't do that. The airline business is very vital to our country. It's a tough business. We have to understand that. So not, I mean, I could tell you other businesses that are different kinds of business. They're very good businesses. But <laughs> All right. Let's just cut them off there. Now let's talk about wh- what this does to the debt. Because growing up, the, the, the national debt has been a part of the conversation as far back into my childhood as I can remember. And the number now is so far and above what we used to consider astronomical. What we thought was an astronomical number 20 years ago just seems quaint now. And so there's a piece that was on, I think it was Fresh, it's one of the many NPR shows that I've clipped over the last month, and they had a piece on how this affects the deficit, but why at the same time, and I can't really find fault in this logic, although I would love to get analysis from the audience in the Discord, unfilter.show slash Discord, I'd really like to get some people that have thought about this stimulus or this rescue package. I'd love to get your thoughts about what's in there, how it's how it affects the country long term, because it's such a massive number that nobody really knows. And as this piece puts it, even people that are debt hawks at this point don't know if this was a good thing or not and perhaps think it was necessary. Congress has pulled out all the stops to try to reverse the economic damage done by the coronavirus. There are small business loans direct payments to low- and middle-income workers, expanded unemployment benefits, and money for big corporations. Maya McGinnis of the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget says the bill will be really expensive. We are talking about massive amounts of money compared to anything we've ever done in this amount of time before. The federal government already runs an annual budget deficit of a trillion dollars. That's trillion with a T. All this extra spending will drive that up to two or even three trillion dollars this year. Douglas Holtzikin is former head of the Congressional Budget Office. It's mind-boggling. I, I've, I've, I never contemplated this. Um, I can remember the quaint days when I was being yelled at because we had a four hundred billion dollar deficit, and I was the CBO director. <laughs> Doesn't look so bad right now. There was a time when that kind of deficit spending would have raised alarms in Washington. In 2013, when the U.S. economy was still recovering from the Great Recession, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell told CBS that deficit spending was the single biggest threat to the country. We now have a debt 
of $16.4 trillion. That's as big as our economy. That alone makes us look a lot like Greece. Well, sure. Easy to say when Obama's in office. I don't hear you saying it now that Trump's in office there, Mitch. Uh, We have an incredible spending addiction. But today, total debt owed by the government is almost $24 trillion, and McConnell barely mentions it. This is no ordinary time. The American people need help, and they need it fast. And as for President Trump, he hardly talks about the deficit at all. Part of this is just raw politics, says Dean Baker of the Center for Economic and Policy Research. Politicians only express concern about the deficit when the other party controls the White House. But Baker says there's also been a transformation in the way economists think about deficit spending. I feel like this is the key part. I mean, you could always make the jokes about, well, it's, you know, the other party's problem. It it seems like the regular rules are out the window now. Now we live in a world where we're going to digital currencies. We have negative interest rates and we just print unlimited money. He controls the White House. But Baker says there's also been a transformation in the way economists think about deficit spending. The classic story of why deficits are bad just hasn't panned out. Baker says many economists used to worry that too much borrowing by the government would raise interest rates and generate higher inflation. But government debt has been steadily rising and interest rates are lower than ever. So Baker says right now, with the economy in so much turmoil, people shouldn't spend too much time worrying about debt. The amount of employment in the economy is is going through the floor. And the deficit in that context, I just I just don't even see how that it, it's almost a non sequitur. That's not the sort of thing you should worry about. Even Maya McGinnis of the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, who's something of a professional deficit hawk, agrees. She says the U.S. economy is in desperate shape. This is exactly the time when you want to be running a deficit. It makes sense to borrow the money from the future today. We have a real emergency, but it also makes it harder for us to get our economy back on track once we get through this emergency. McGinnis says over the past few years, when the economy was doing so well, the government should have been paying off debt. Instead, it did the opposite, cutting taxes and spending more and more money. And now that a real crisis has come along, the government is that much less prepared to deal with it. Jim Zaroli, NPR News, New York. I'd love to get your take on that. And if this amount of debt has you spinning, I'd love to hear your analysis on this. Uh, I want to point out that today your unfiltered show has featured clips from just about all of the news organizations out there that get some amount of audience. There's obviously some that we also feature from time to time that have smaller audiences. It's not necessarily something we exclude, but I just want to point it out. NPR, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. We play from all of the sources here on the show. Aggregation is part of what we do. It's part of the value that I try to add through this podcast. So we can aggregate from all the different sources and try to have a more centered conversation around these kinds of things. Many industries are suffering because of the coronavirus pandemic. But with so many people self-isolating at home, at least one industry is booming. It's the marijuana industry. Medical marijuana sales are up in a lot of states that allowed weed dispensaries because state and local governments, like the state of California, are deeming them essential services or businesses during coronavirus lockdowns. Legal marijuana sales in California jumped 159% last Monday compared to a year ago. Dispensaries are also moving quickly to provide delivery and pickup options for their customers. 
delivery cannabis. Wow. Now, the uh, shops near the studio here, they've shut down. They've shut down. Tiniest violin in the world. But then there's ones not so close to the studio that are still going. So uh, I don't know. I also need I need to get a tire fixed, a wheel fixed, actually, on my car. And uh, low-profile tires, they got dented. I needed to take it in to get it fixed. The shop I prefer to go to, closed. The shop that was my second choice, next to it, open. Really arbitrary. Just sort of the weirdest implementation of a of a lockdown I think we could have had. So let's talk to a, let's 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 just move on. Let's just that's what it is. I think you know I'll keep an eye on all of that stuff. I'd love to get your input, but let's move to the election. This week there's um, some pieces moving into place that are going to be a lot of crap down the road. Um, I think Nancy Pelosi is setting up Trump for an investigation after this corona stuff passes. It may be like a plan B if he wins the election. They're going to try to figure out how he botched it. Just read between the lines in this interview she had. Speaker Pelosi, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you are well and safe. Uh, I know your home district of San Francisco has been particularly hard hit. President Trump is considering relaxing federal guidelines for coronavirus for some of the less affected parts of the country. Do you think he should? Well, first of all, let me just say how sad it is that even since the president's signing of the bill, the number of deaths reported has doubled from 1,000 to 2,000 in our country. This is such a very, very sad time for us. Putting that right on Trump. So we should be taking every precaution. Uh, What the president, his uh, denial at the beginning uh, was deadly. His delaying of getting... uh, Equipment to where it continues is delaying getting equipment to where it's needed is deadly. And now I think the best thing would be to do is to prevent uh, more loss of life rather than open things up so that because we just don't know. We have to have testing, testing, testing. That's what we said from the start before we can evaluate uh, what the the, uh, nature of it is in some of these other regions as well. I don't know what the purpose of that is. I don't know. Gee, she just rambles. You can hardly even follow what she's saying. But this is the part where it starts to sound like maybe this is leading somewhere. That entire ramble was building to this. The scientists are saying to him, I don't know what the scientists said to him. When did this president know about this? And what did he know? What did he know? When did he know it? That's for an after action review. Oh, (laughs) You know, it's funny because with these politicians, you can always find gotcha moments. I got one here for Nancy. What did she know? What did you know on February 24th, Nancy, when you were in San Francisco's Chinatown encouraging people to come get together and that Corona was no big deal? What did you know February 24th, Nancy Pelosi? What? You don't remember this moment? You don't remember going to Chinatown, encouraging people to come out and get in groups and buy from the shops? You don't you don't remember that? Huh. Funny, I got a clip of it right here. She has been going around to show that it is perfectly safe to be here. Uh, She says that this is a very special place to her heart because she started a lot of her early campaigning when she started her political career, Uh, some of it right here in Chinatown. And uh, we got some word from her earlier on sort of the message that she's trying to uh, purvey here. It's exciting to be here, especially at this time, uh, to be able to be unified with our community. Uh, we want to be vigilant about what it might be on the... Uh 
What was that? We want to be vigilant about what might be on the horizon. What is out there in other places. Oh, you changed it. Because you knew, didn't you? You knew what was coming, didn't you, Nancy? You knew what was coming. You knew what was on the horizon. Much about what it might be on the uh, what is out there in other places. <laughs> February twenty fourth, twenty twenty. About what it might be on the uh, what is out there in other places. We want to be careful about how we deal with it, but we do want to say to people: come to Chinatown. Here we are. We're again careful, safe, and. Come join us. That's what she said on February 24th. That may have cost lives, Nancy. That may have cost lives. What did you know, Nancy? What were the scientists telling you? We need an after-action report, Nancy. We want to be vigilant about what it might be on the, uh, what is out there in other places. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, February 24th, San Francisco. Now they're on lockdown, and she's going on tossing shade. It's really something. Oh, I guess it's just typical, isn't it? It is typical. I mean, Trump does the same political game. Let's think about the stimulus for a moment. I mentioned this last episode. The check going to every American is a check to vote for Trump. And if this clip plays out true, this prediction plays out true, I think there's no denying it. I don't, I don't, care, I don't care who you are. If this clip turns out true, there's no denying that it's clearly a play for the reelection. With his usual gusto, President Trump relished the opportunity to sign into law a historic $2 trillion stimulus package as the American public and the U.S. economy fight the spread of COVID-19. One key element of the package includes sending checks directly to individuals and families. Look, 10 days ago, I tweeted that President Trump would want his signature on all the checks sent to Americans if a coronavirus relief bill passed. And then I doubled down on my prediction a couple of days ago when I opened my mailbox and I got, yeah, that postcard, which had CDC guidelines on one side. And on the other side, it was described as President Trump's coronavirus guidelines for America. Now that the relief package has passed, the Wall Street Journal is reporting this, quote, Mr. Trump has told people he wants his signature to appear on the direct payment checks that will go out to many Americans in the coming weeks, according to an administration officials. The White House didn't comment. <laughs> Could you imagine now? Think about this for a moment. Now, if you're a single person, I think you get, what, $1,200? But if you're a family, you're going to get a $3,400 check if you're like a family of three or four. I think it's family four. Uh Two adults, two kids. I think you get a $3,400 check or something like that. Now, if that's got Donald J. Trump's signature on it, how's that going to make you feel about reelecting the guy? $3,400 may actually move the needle a little bit for some folks. I mean, it's more than any other politician's done for you, right? It's more than Biden would do, isn't it? Isn't it? To be honest, I'm not sure what Biden would do. He's, he's trying to tell us, but I don't follow it. And in order to avoid that, those very high numbers, we have to do at least several things. One, okay, what? Okay. we have to uh, depend on what the president's going to do right now. What? And first of all, he has to uh, tell, uh, uh, wait till the cases before anything happens. Look, the whole idea is he's got to get in place things that were shortages of. Okay. And that's on MSNBC. 
there's also a lot of background chatter that hasn't made it to the mainstream media about a Me Too movement against Joe Biden. I have links in the show notes. I don't really have any audio or any clips of it because it hasn't really broken into that level of the media yet, but it's definitely something that's simmering. There's groups that are building around it. I'm sitting here, and I I, I want to make something clear to you guys. I am not like some some like uh, secret Bernie supporter who was just waiting to get on air and say, Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders for president. However, what I see happening appears to be the worst case scenario of anything they threw at Sanders about socialism and private me- and and single payer health care and privatization of companies that uh, provide a national service, which he was never even talking about, but we've gone that far. Universal basic income, all of these things, which were even more progressive than where Sanders was, is just now okay. I mean, yeah, it's one check right now, but what if there's another pack? What if there's a phase four stimulus package where they cut another two, three checks for Americans? At what point do we just call it universal basic income, even if it's for a few for a few months? They've calculated the number. The $1,200 figure comes from the federal minimum wage and a 40-hour work week. And then they do the math and figure how much you'd make if you worked four weeks. Okay, here's a check for $1,200. It's not an, it was actually slightly less than that, but they rounded it up. It's not an arbitrary number. It came from what the federal government thinks that you need as a baseline wage to survive. It's a universal basic income. And we're paying for people's medical treatment. It is everything that they threw at Sanders, and now it's a Republican president doing it. It's the businessman's businessman doing it. And I, I hate that we're being disingenuous. We're being disingenuous about this. We're pretending like this isn't what's happening. And the media, you can see, is having some real cognizant disconnects with this. They can't quite figure out how to put this all together. Pleading with the White House for more protective gear amidst the coronavirus pandemic. On Sunday, President Trump again resisted invoking the Defense Production Act, wartime authority to mobilize industries. We're a country not based on nationalizing our business. Uh, uh, Call a person over in Venezuela. Ask them, how did nationalization of their businesses work out? Not too well. Shortly after this clip, however, he did force GM to start producing ventilators using the act. Uh, The concept of nationalizing our business is not a good concept. Joining me now is Michael Chertoff, former Homeland Security Secretary for President George W. Bush. Thank you very much, Michael. I know you're an expert of crisis management around the world. With all due respect to the president, the Defense Production Act created in the Korean War after all of the wartime production, the B-17s that all the Rosie the Riveters produced, is not socialism. It's not Marxism. It's not Venezuela. It's very much American to have this act and have it ready for a crisis such as this. Speaking, if there is any precedent. That was MSNBC. This is CNN. What fixes this? What what should they do today? So this is a great question. In, in the space of three weeks, I've gone from asking questions like, how do we pay for certain policies to retweeting tweets from the likes of Bernie Sanders and Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez? We need to protect people, the most vulnerable people in society, and we need to do it in size and we need to do it at speed. So these cash handouts that people are talking about, exactly right. The problem is we've done this in the past and those checks took an average of two months to get to people. We need a massive, massive fund 
to support small and medium-sized enterprises, perhaps interest-free, let them borrow money so that they don't fire their employees, even if they're not doing anything. Here's something else I wouldn't uh, mind some conversation around in the Discord. Could you explain to me how we can afford a $6.2 trillion stimulus package, but we can't afford a single-payer healthcare system? that would have gone a long way into helping address this problem and set us up if it does come back or another one would happen like it. So it would be a, an investment against another invisible enemy that could happen and strike at any time. Oh, it's just the kind of thing that Americans love. It's for national security, for goodness sake. Woo! So how can we cut billions of dollars to companies? We can cut a check to every single American under $95,000 in earnings. But we we can't do single payer healthcare. I don't know if we should. I don't I just it, it, I can't I can't explain it to myself. I can't answer that question. I'd love some conversation around that in the Discord. You know, nice, calm, rational. I mean, I'm not trying to pick a side here. I'm just trying to answer that question. I just it doesn't make any sense to me. Now there's something else that's going to start happening that I think will also have interesting knock-on effects for the election. That is some states will be forced to postpone, delay, or reorganize the way they do the elections. Maybe they'll have to switch to all by mail. New York is trying to delay it till June 23rd. On the theory of risk-reward, we're supposed to have a presidential primary election that's coming up on April 28th. Uh, I don't think it's wise to be bringing a lot of people to one location to vote. A lot of people touching one doorknob, a lot of people touching one... Uh, pen, whatever you call the new device on the ballots. <laughs> he don't so care. we are going to delay that and link it to an election that was previously scheduled on June 23rd. The June 23rd date is for state legislative races and congressional races. We'll move the presidential election to that date. So they're hoping people can get together by June. That's sort of what he's saying there, right? Now, of course, a lot of people are upset by that. A lot of people are upset by that. So I'll watch that reaction, too. It seems like things have stabilized a little bit. So the plan is for this week to do two episodes. So this is episode one. So I'll do another episode towards the end of this week. Unfilter.show slash subscribe so you can get every single episode. Then it builds up to episode 300, which will be live with my buddy Chase. He and I are just going to hang out and celebrate 300 episodes of The People's History. Talk about our philosophies a little bit around this more centered nature of the show that we try to take where we don't overreact, but we don't underreact. Try to get it right. It's always a balance. Some topics are a little more emotional than others, but other topics deserve that kind of perspective. So that way we can have a complete, genuine conversation around them. There's a lot coming up. So one more episode until that live stream. And then join us on Monday at 5 p.m. Pacific for Unfilter 300. That's one week from when this episode comes out. So that will be April 6th, if I'm doing my time math right. April 6th at 5 p.m. Pacific on filter.show slash live. Hang out with us, celebrate the reboot, celebrate 300 episodes, say hi to Chase. I bet producer Matt will be there well. Also, speaking of producer Matt, I meant to do this last week. Huge shout out to Matt. He has got that Discord dialed in. 
Lots of channels, good conversation, permission levels. He really he really went above and beyond. Thank you to producer Matt. He did it on his own. You know, it's just me right now. He didn't have to do that, and he did it, and it was awesome. Check it out. Unfiltered.show slash Discord. Thank you, Matt. Man, I'm excited about 300. I hope you'll join us. Monday, April 6th, 5 p.m. Pacific, unfiltered.show slash live. One more episode this week. Go subscribe, and I'll see you then. Hey!